All right, team. Welcome back to the Monday Morning Dad podcast. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Joe last week, especially all the obnoxious North Carolina bugs that you could hear in the background. But we made it home safely with limited meltdowns in the car, even skipping naps. So there's that. Uh, There's something about every beach trip, I think, where one of our kids has some sort of explosion in the backseat. And I'm talking like an emotional explosion. I'm talking... um, should have stopped at the bathroom somewhere somewhere but uh this trip was no different luckily it was the one with the diapers still have no uh, no idea how much was ingested how much was used as body scrub but anyway we enjoyed the change of scenery in the company so we will call it a win but uh today well today i guess could go one of two ways we could either end up learning a whole lot about me that you guys didn't know, or we could be ending this podcast super early because we're learning a whole lot about me that you didn't know. So I'm kind of amazed, honestly, that it took seven whole episodes to make this happen. And I know my guest today is extremely offended by that, but he still decided to entertain me by sitting down and chatting a bit. You know, they they say the only thing better than a dad bod is a father figure. So today's guest requires little introduction but my dad, Tim, is here with us today. How's it going? Your microphone working okay? Yes, I think so. So episode seven, huh? I was, episode seven. Yeah, we so. started chatting about this, I think, on episode three, and I wasn't sure if you just said with busy vacation season, maybe hard time getting a fill-in, but uh, that's exactly to be here. That's exactly what it was. I'm, I'm going to thank my sponsor today. Uh, I got a Pennsylvania Dutch birch beer. So I'm going to open that one up real quick before we get started here. But now this is going to be interesting because you can't really sit in one place for more than two minutes. I think we actually hit a two-minute mark already. So we may end up taking a few breaks. And I I see you have a a legal pad full of notes. I think we got about six or seven pages working there. You came prepared. I like that. Well, I know I said he requires little introduction, but I've been perfecting a... I guess some may call it a biography, some may call it a eulogy, but I'd like to read it for you guys, solicit some feedback, so uh, I'm getting getting a head start on that. But here we go. I'm going to read this for you. Tim Shaughnessy. Some of you may know him as Gramps. Others may know him as the guy who lost all his money on the golf course. Regardless, he's a man who's left a lasting impact wherever he's traveled. Hailing from the Twin Cities of Minnesota, the self-proclaimed King of Fillmore Street eventually made his way from the University of St. Thomas to Handsome Air Force Base outside of Boston, which surprisingly only gets 4.4 stars on Google, if you were wondering. After the birth of his first-born son, TJ, and a successful attempt at sneaking into the 1986 World Series only to see the curse of the Bambino carry on, he picked up his tiny family to move to the booming suburbs outside of Washington, D.C., In 1988, his favorite son, Ryan, was born, and from then on, he would focus all his attention on ensuring his sons grew up to be strong, independent, hardworking men. While his son, TJ, forgot about the strong part, both boys grew up, got married, and blessed him with the title Gramps. Now completely outnumbered with four, count them four granddaughters, his sensitive side has emerged, yet his goofy side still shines through. Tim recently retired for a grand total of three days before jumping back into the working world. His dedication, loyalty, and excellence are all qualities that make him a man worth following. How'd I do? Get all the facts right? Just stop right here, huh? That's it. That's all That's all we need. You know, I can't, I can't count the amount of times, actually, that I've heard from someone, uh, you're just like your dad. I get that quite a bit. I know mom, unfortunately, has to say that. 
more than she's cared to say that. But it hasn't been until the last few years, honestly, that I've really come to, to take that one as a compliment. So why do you think people say that? Like, what are those qualities that they see in me that have obviously been passed down from you? Looking past the good looks, I guess, right? Yeah, and the, yeah. Looking sim- past the surface a little bit. Similarities of uh, maybe some physical features, right? No, I think um, that's interesting. Um, I see that a lot as you, uh, you know, you sort of compare notes about fathers or sons, those kinds of things, and you look at it and say, what is some of those? I think one one for us is a, um, as uh, your mom, my wife says, Sandy, it's our sort of reserved sense of humor that we share. So I think it's sort of the approach of how people see us sort of approach them, potentially. Um, on, on a couple other notes, I think ability to connect with people, um, I see that's a trait you have that I think um, folks have told me I have, and I've used it, I guess, to my benefit in, in some of the in the in the professional world a little bit in terms of be, being able to build coalitions and and go across sort of walls or silos those kinds of things and I think you have that it's interesting to look at your title as director of assimilation and ministries at Fairfax Bible because I think that word assimilation is uh, it's got a lot of a lot of meanings to it and I think that's one that I think is a commonality um, I to get my I think approachability you know they talk about being from Minnesota this Minnesota nice right it's uh Sort yeah, of a, that's uh, good. A, fe- a feature, right? So I, I tend to wear that on my sleeve a little bit, but I think there is some of that. It's a sense of community. And um, Sandy, my wife, uh, generally always says, you know, you, uh, you're able to connect with people, older, younger, um, different backgrounds, different experiences. So I think that's that's some of uh, the uh, unique similarities I think we share. Well, again, like I said, I'm, I'm starting to take those as compliments, I guess. And even at work, it's not uncommon for people to come by my desk and talk about how they used to work with you and how much they loved it. So I feel like I've got a lot to live up to. But uh, tell me a little bit real quick about your relationship with your dad growing up. Yeah, is um you know, I think about that. That's interesting because, um, so just a little fill in some of the some of the blanks that uh, from your your little bio sketch there. Um, so I was the youngest of five children, and um, interestingly enough, there's a pretty wide age span. Uh, my my next the next uh, brother to me, my older brother, five years. So I had a five year gap, and uh, and uh, and uh, two two older sisters, two older brothers, and but my so as growing up in in terms of the. Um, teenage years I was pretty much the only one in the house and so obviously the older brothers always said you know I had it the easiest but it was interesting we also had came from a family that um, ran a family business and so from the very you know I'm talking seven eight years old the early years with my with my brothers especially and then with my dad you know working in the business and sort of a regimented kind of routine that we followed in terms of working on weekends there and so forth but um, I just remember this a lot from the teenage years with my dad. We shared a pretty special bond, you know, with uh, me being in the house. And it, 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 it permeated through a lot of different things, through some of our family activities, obviously projects around the house, uh, sports. He was pretty involved in politics. I remember many years handing in the old days, sort of going around door to door with leaflets before elections, and my dad giving us the maps of where to deliver these and 25 below days of delivering Reefs from the Boy Scouts. Our garage was filled with, you know, 400, 500 reefs, and this was pre uh, pre computers here a little bit. So we <laughs> were working off a legal pad out in the garage of who had to deliver what to where and um, those kinds of things. But um, so I, it was it was I really enjoyed it. We um, you know we had nicknames for each other. Um, we would uh, chum around a lot. I, I was sort of his uh, sidekick growing up, and 
And I think that made it a little more difficult for him. I was probably the first one out of the five really to leave home after I graduated from college and go into the Air Force. And so I, I think it was a little bit tougher for him and for me, for sure, um, sort of picking up roots from Minnesota and, and moving out. But um, it was uh, it was a special time with my dad growing up. I remember got a lot of fond memories. Well, I know we didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with him growing up, but knowing he was married to Grandma Jerry, who takes no crap at all, I know he was a squared away guy, an extremely hard worker. I don't know why, but the one story I think I'll always remember about him was when we were sitting at their kitchen table in the house, and, and then all of a sudden, like hundreds of coins just fell out of his pocket onto the ground. Um, and, and looking back now, my thought should have been like, what the heck are you doing with all these coins in your pocket? But I guess he didn't have Apple Pay at the time. Anyway, it was a funny memory just jumping down uh, on the ground and helping him pick up like $10 worth of pennies from the floor. Um, you know, in my, in my conversation a few weeks ago with Austin, actually, he brought up the point that as dads, we'll know our kids more as adults than we actually will as kids, which was kind of crazy for me to to think about because I'm so immersed right now in like little kid life and uh, was just thinking about like our relationship and how you've at this point, you've pretty much known me. Well, I don't know what you're going to consider an, an adult, but <laughs> I, I'd say we're getting yeah, close that, to when that transition actually. actually yeah, happened, if it I'm did, not going to yeah. at 30 turning 32 on Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. But uh, what has been the, the best part for you about being a dad with adult children? Yeah, certainly a different perspective, right? I mean, you don't you don't think of that, um, you know, as you do your parenting yourself through those years. You don't really, you know, think about, hey, what? There's another sort of gig after this, right? I mean, there's a different kind of parenting role to, to be had in grand in, in, with grandparenting. But and you think about it, I haven't, uh, as some of my friends, say, I haven't uh, checked out the interwebs on all this and gotten any advice on grandparenting. Maybe I should. I'm sure there's some out there. But um, it's interesting as you look at that from a perspective of grandparent. Interesting too, having two boys and then being a grandparent for four daughter for four granddaughters. Um, certainly a different dynamic, right? One that I growing up, but you know, I I try to think about the techniques and maybe later I'll share a little quote that's that stuck with me around that a little bit. But um, uh, so it's it's it, one. It's just that grandparent role, not really a book. Trying to sort of figure out where what's that right kind of role to play there. Um, Certainly about not being overbearing, but but being you know a part of the grand uh, the grandchildren and being able to sort of uh, you know um, enjoy those years. Um, the other is just sort of as I look at it too, and having your brother TJ up in Boston and getting the time there, a um, little different perspective there because generally when I when we're engaged with them, we're generally staying at their house and we're immersed you know more twenty four seven, and obviously you know you haven't yet invited me over to spend the night um, yet, but. <laughs> I'm pretty excited tonight, folks. I just wanted to announce um, uh, Gracie's going to uh, attempt to spend a sleep over here with Gramps. And so um, yeah. I don't know if I'm up for it yet, um, but uh, she came a few, uh, few, about an hour or so ago with the backpack in tow and ready to uh, tackle it. So um, She we'll, only has two rules tonight, too. She'll let it, you know what the two rules are. Okay. But. Yeah, okay. That's all so, I gave her was two rules. Okay. And I, you know, she's got a pretty good memory, so we'll have to try to... Uh, try to uh, manage things here but it is interesting to to sort of watch both you and and tj in in that role of of fathering you know it's easy i think and you'll see probably talk about it obviously through some of your other future editions of the podcast but um you know just a different environment right and so i'm constantly trying quietly going back saying well how did i parent it what would we do in that situation 
and Monday morning quarterback the situation, right, a little bit. But it's it's certainly different But um, and different parenting styles. But sort of a commonality of certain things, right? You look at the whole body of work, I would say, you know, those elements that are, are neat to see um, hopefully being continued and spread, that sort of this unconditional love, right, the, the growth in uh, the kids and the Christian education and faith. Um, also, um, you know, the whole idea of boundary setting, right? Um, you know, the whole those thing. don't exist. No. Yeah, exactly, right? And then um, and so, some of the value establishment for, for the kids. So it's neat to be able to see that in a, in a different time and, and be more of a, a, a spectator a little bit. I know I can speak for. I appreciate the Monday morning quarterback reference too. That was a good one. That's not planned by any means, but I know I can speak for our whole family on this one. We've absolutely loved seeing you transition from a dad of two boys to now Gramps of four girls. And I know I said earlier that your sensitive side has emerged a little bit, even if you try to play off being tough. But um, how do you think you've handled your emotions as a as a dad? I don't want to put too many words in your mouth, but I, I think for a while it was it was probably difficult for you to handle emotional things. Like e- even I think when we told you we were pregnant with Grace, I'm pretty sure you just got up and started cleaning things, which which seems to be <laughs> nervous energy kicked in a little bit. Maybe. Yeah, it seems yeah. to be your default. Right. But right. <laughs> have you seen a transition in your emotions since becoming a grandfather now to four girls? Um Yeah, you know, when you reflect on that a little bit, it's it's interesting because, you know, I guess the first thing that sort of comes up for me, and it has for all of the, all of the kids, I, I reflect back. You know, um, the first experience being, um, you know, uh, TJ and Mel up in Boston when they were delivering. Uh, delivering, we were actually up there in the middle of about a twenty-five, and I mean a, a good north nor'easter storm, and uh, accompanied Mel down to her appointment. And they said, "Hey, you're um, just stay here. It's going to be bad weather." And Mom and I driving back out to his house um, after they admitted her and um, talked about that nervous energy. And so that's when it first hit me because um, mom came back to the house, dropped me off at the house. I, I my duty was to watch Fenway, the chocolate or the uh, black lab. And mom picked up uh, Mel's mom and they headed back to the hospital. And uh, so I was there and literally I was uh, spent a couple of nights up painting and so forth. But my mind always on, hey, what's this going to be like? And so. Um, but the first thing that kicked in for me, and it has for all the all of the births, it's been sort of this this innate uh, desire to to create a protection, right? It's that idea of you know how do I sort of be the the grandparent that provides additional protection? Not that you as parents aren't doing that, but for for me, it's like boy, what what role can I fill as that you know sort of super protector for the kids, and not only growing up but looking to future years. And so that's that's something in terms of emotion that he didn't really expect but i think permeates a lot um i talked a little earlier about that idea of trying to balance the role of grandparenting right in terms of figure out what that what that should be um and pick up on the cues from you or shannon or tj or mel about hey you know maybe that's area you don't really need to help us in we got this one covered or um you know or hey what do you think about that and and, and being able to lend a hand a little bit um and then i think the other one is just um it's actually a little different. It's just, you know, being that, how do you try to be relevant? You're helping me with that fact. I'm trying to learn up on the Disney characters. Bubble Guppies always gives me a problem. I think I got most of them down. Molly, Get, uh, Gobi, Gil, uh, Nani, um, Gracie helps me with all those. But that idea of trying to be, um, you know, relevant, relevant for the kids at their age and try to sort of adapt as they move on. You know, they talk about this grandparent thing. really you got to absorb it and suck it all in because at about age what, 12, 13, between sports and other things, you know, 
they won't be interested in the sleepover at Gramps' house. So um, <laughs> it's really capitalizing on those few years I have, I think. Yeah, well, if they ever run away, I'm sure we know where to find them. That'll be good. You guys just got recently got an RV, too, and that is uh-huh. the only thing that Grace talks about is, like, every idea that she has is, oh, well, maybe uh, Gramps can come pick us up, and, and we'll go get ice cream and, and bring it back, and so she loves that. So if all else fails, you can just uh, put her in the RV, and she'll live out there for a little bit. Hey, I but, think anything it takes, I, you know, it's a fairly expensive way to try to endear myself but if that's what it takes you know i mean you got to think out of the box a little bit on some of these i like it well i want to try something a little new for the podcast today uh something i'm going to call the the five w's which is it's basically five questions about fatherhood uh, a who a what a where a when and a why question so kind of random questions but hopefully we can learn a lot about what makes a great biblical father celebrate some wins as dads and encourage um, you guys in your journey as a dad too so uh, we're going to get rolling with the five W's, but here we go. Question number one, who is another dad you really admire? That's a good one for sure. Um, I want to highlight three dads real quickly and uh, could spend, you know, certainly a podcast on two of them. Certainly I could spend a much more time, but I also want to mention a third that I saw individual father more from a distance, but certainly was impressive to me and, and meaningful. But first, um, certainly my dad, right? I um, We talked a little bit about my relationship with my dad, but just being able to see in that time the work ethic. I said we had a family business that by no means wasn't you know overly super successful. It was a uh, blue-collar business, electroplating and metal finishing business. It happened to be only about, oh, less than a, probably a half a mile from our high school. And so, you know, there was expectations there of, hey, when school's done, uh you know, or whatever, come by, come by the, the shop, we called it. It was a, you know, fairly, you know, not glamorous business, hot in the summer, and you're around chemicals and dirt and so forth. But um, my uncle was in the business, my dad, um, my brother-in-law for a while, and, and my older brother eventually uh, went into the business as well before he passed away. But um, one of the things that um, always struck me was that work ethic and commitment to family. So my dad was a real pretty laid-back, quiet guy when it came to to you know the fathering but there was that line you knew about right and my mom did a lot of assistance in that fathering usually you had to clear through mom's gate first you mentioned grandma jerry a little bit she um a lot of funny stories about you know sort of how she, she had bigger muscles than you right she, i think she did how she would uh how you uh, my uh, older brother jack some of his friends would come in maybe after some nights of uh of um Partaking uh, had, in adult had, beverages, you know, maybe a little too much. And uh, I remember the one time my mom, in fact, uh, the house was for sale that they lived in. My brother went back and looked at it, and he could, he looked up the wall. He said he couldn't remember looking and saying that's where that frying pan was. But there was a frying pan and that she sort of hung on the wall as a decorative item. And at one point, she did have to take it down off the wall and hold it up at, at my uh, brother Jack and say, "What have you guys done? Wait till your father hears this." And and my brother often now reflects and says, "You know." She always threatened with my dad, but it was like, you know, we, we just wanted to clear the gauntlet with her first, and then we were fine. But <laughs> I believe that. Um, but anyway, so my dad, you know, but just, you know, his commitment to the family, right, and just the hard work and the tradition. And then the other trait that I look back and really um, admire about my dad was, uh, so f- five children, um, all sort of different, obviously not uncommon, but different kinds of goals, um, different kinds of hobbies, interests, um, and, and sort of career expectations and aspirations. And he really, in his own way, just let each of us find our find our way there. I mean, there was a certainly a backing, uh, a proudness that he displayed all the time. I remember my brother when he got 
uh, interested in going to the Naval Academy, and my dad just lit up with that, being able to go and, you know, get a, um, he was in politics and be able to get a, uh, an appointment from, from the uh, Congress and, uh, congressman and senator for my brother and, and just being there and doing that. Um, and myself, when I you know, went into the military, my other older brother who went into the business. So it, each, each of us as kids were really allowed to really just sort of find our own way. And that was, to me, pretty meaningful because I, I found tendencies as a father to really say, you know, hey, we, you know, maybe it's our generation, but we got to sort of control this and, and get, get the kids slotted to where we think they, they need to go. And then a, a second, uh, real quick, a second um, father figure is, is my father-in-law. So... Um, I was Sandy and I, did, you know, actually sort of high school, not high school, but church sweethearts actually met in church youth group and she went to a different high school, but uh, we dated in high school. And, and so I saw their sort of same traits as my dad in some respects. He's, uh, uh, he's had a unique situation. His, his dad died at age 17. He took over a, a family business that was starting uh, the funeral business there and with his mom and at age 17, um, started that, went to the University of Minnesota, and then picked it up, and has really grown it to be a, a just a, a really neat, uh, successful, philanthropic kind of business um, there in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis. But just watched some of his his traits as well, from not only from the business side, but just the parenting side as well, and and the ability to just be, you know, the fairness that came through. And then the other thing that I thought was powerful for me was watching. Him more because, you know, I, I lost my parents at an earlier age but for the grandparenting, but watching him interact with 11 grandsons, sort of a unique thing, right? We, had, we talked about the football team he created, but we, uh, and I'm sure Ryan remembers some of the, you remember some of the, you know, the vacations that he was able to take with all of us, you know, dude ranches and cruises and, and trips up to northern Minnesota where, you know, I just really, whether he knew it or not, that I think that was a real strong bond for the family and something that I'd really love to, to try to replicate. And then just the last reflection, uh, the uh, fellow, folks, if you want to Google and, and, and search a little bit, there's a fellow named Dr. Bob Templin, who was um, a member at St. Andrew Lutheran Church when we were going there in, in Centerville. And I just remember this family coming in, and uh, Dr. Templin ended up being, uh, he was, you know, former president at, uh, at NOVA for about 15 years, I think, and, and has done a lot of great work on the education side. I think he's now associated with NC State and the senior fellow in the Aspen Institute in a few places. But um, interesting thing, I just remember this family coming in in a van and uh, did a little, uh, you know, background checking and searching and talking with folks and uh, had three biological children and 11 adopted children. And they'd come to this van, in this van to church. I don't know if you remember the family. Yeah, now I do. Now they're talking about the Yeah, that, his wife, Carla, and mm -hmm. um, just a neat guy. Um, and uh, I just remember them sitting, I said, what is this? I thought if some point it was some group and they started no it's the Templin family and they talked about him and I'd watch them in church there was an it turned out it looked there's an 18 year year span between the kids the kids came uh the 11 adopted kids were Brazil Korea and Guatemala and the ability for he and his wife to just you know um one just I always look back and said who could ever tackle that right I mean we talked we were it was interesting because um uh, Sandy went through infertility treatments for about three and a half years before we could uh, conceive uh, TJ, and and so we had we were pretty serious along the way of adoption, and so that was interesting to me to say, boy, you know, maybe I could do it for one or two, but when I saw those thirteen kids there, or you know, the three adopted and, and uh, eleven adopted and the three fourteen kids line up in church and behave themselves and the respect, and and I looked him up a little bit and done a little more research, and in fact, I got interested when we talked about this because he, um, you know, the kids are all successful in their own way so just an interesting perspective on 
on fathering. Yeah, that's a that's a good list for sure. I don't. That's uh, a lot to to look up to. Um, I, I know you became a dad about well thirty four years ago now. TJ's yeah. birthday is on July thirtieth, so right. almost thirty four years. So a lot has obviously changed in the past thirty four years. Um, even just the ability to to do something like this in a podcast form didn't exist then, but. Uh, what is one piece of advice you'd give yourself as a new dad? Um, yeah, it's, you know, a lot of different angles to look at at that question. I think one that pops out for me is is, is pretty relevant, and just in my situation was um, the biggest one for me. Just to really savor and relish those what I'd call those that precious time, those certainly those formative years with the kids. I had a in my situation, you know, you mentioned, you know, where I was in the Air Force and so I spent four years on active duty and at the time came to sort of re-up my commitment. You know, San, uh, Sandy and I talked about it and made some, you know, it was a really tough decision. And so I made the decision to get, to come off of active duty. I went into the Air Force Reserves and served in the Reserves and then, you know, went into the private sector and it turned out that's what brought us to Virginia. And I got a position uh, with, the, with an IT firm here and it was sort of the early but I can say really boom years of doing a lot of, uh, you know, government contracting and bidding proposal work. And so one, it was an attractive salary coming out of the air force. And I thought this is going to be, this is um, really going to set us up nice. At the time we had TJ, he was about a year and a half, I guess, old. And, and, uh, and uh, we settled in, in, in Centerville. And uh, I just remembered starting that grind and I said, oh, this isn't too bad. It's work hard, but it'll settle in. And the 40-hour weeks went to, you know, 60-hour weeks. They went to 70-hour weeks when we were doing proposals. There were stays down in Tyson's in hotels because you couldn't drive back, you know. You you know, you had to come back and get proposals in and doing that work. And and uh, it really started to grind a little bit. And then um, you were born. And Sandy, remember, my wife reminds me, um, you know, that her mom came out from Minnesota at the time. And I don't know if I was working on proposal or what, but basically dropped them back off at the house and went back into work and, and uh, just banging out these proposals. And, that was and work. the day you got back from the hospital with me? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, so I said, well, you know, and, you know, you don't, again, you're just, your head's down, you're doing this and you're doing what you think you have to do as a dad to provide. But I th- the sort of the watershed moment for me was I was actually at a intersection in, um, in, in Centerville, trying to come home one night, and uh, I don't know if it was, in, I can't remember what time of day it was. It might have been even day, but um, and I was in my Honda Prelude at the time, and just uh, fell asleep at the intersection. And I remember cop coming up and uh, basically just you know tapping on the and um, you know put me through sort of the test of hey you know what's going on here, and I explained to it, and um, and I just remember driving home after that and thinking, I can't. There's no way I can keep this pace up, right? I mean, just even selfishly looking at it for myself, but then, then really think about the family. And so, um, made a tough call there and talked to folks, and they, you know, no, we'll make it better. You know, we'll give you a raise. Give you. I said, no, it's not about the money. But I made so I made a a real conscious sort of career change there and um, and pivoted. But as I look back, I said, boy, what if I would have stayed on that trajectory? What what would things be like? You know, and um, so that was interesting for me. So long way to sort of say, hey, for me, that that being able to savor, relish those precious years, I'm, you know, indebted for the decision I made or the influence that God had in, in saying, hey, you cannot, you know, serve your duty as fatherhood and, and do that kind of job um, 
you know, one or both will fail. And certainly the, the important one for me was fathering. So I'm, I'm glad I made that change. But I think that's the biggest piece of advice I'd have. Yeah, I'm glad you figured that out early for sure. Obviously, I'd, I didn't remember that at all, yeah. um, being just a few days old and right. um, not having to, to really worry about things like that. But uh, w- throughout those 30 plus years, obviously, you've had a lot of time to grow. Like that's one example yeah. of, of how you've been able to grow. Um, but here's your where question. Where have you grown the most as a dad? Um, in terms of the area, I'd say, you know, I, we talked a little earlier about, you know, this idea of, um, trying to sort of, um, I guess just give room to, uh, sort of grow and pursue. I mean, I think maybe it was the era of my parent, parenthood years. Um, you know, they talk about, you know, the, that advent of the, um, you know, helicopter parent and sort of the controlling parents. I guess it's the, the age group that, that I'm in, in terms of, of that. And I think that's a, you, you, you couple a lot of different factors. I think you take the area we live in, you take uh, the general expectations of, of the community, you take, um, you know, the, the well intentions of the parents um, some, and some of their capabilities to provide for the kids here, and you see, you know, a pretty competitive environment. I don't know if you recall it growing up as much, but, you know, as a parent, it's easy to get trapped into that whole thing, you know, and the whole adage about, you know, living life through your, your kids kind of thing, but to start to try to try to push you or TJ or not, I'd say push, but guide or and sometimes push, right? Say, Hey, this is what I think, you know, you should be interested in. And it starts early, right? With friends and community and then sports. And certainly for you guys, that was a big, you know, we remember the years of the, you know, all-star and he's got to make that all-star team if he doesn't, you know, and I remember, you know, talking about, well, why wasn't, you know, why wasn't TJ Ryan on this team or, you know, I'm glad they made this team. And then, you know, the high school and, you know, high school of 3,200 kids and competitive nature. And, you you know, it was there. It was a subtle pressure thinking, boy, I I don't want to be that proud dad that, you know, I want to be the one that says, oh, kids try out for football. Yeah, but they didn't make it. Or, yeah, they're not starting or whatever. Right. So you get into that. But so I I guess that was always me that I think there were a couple of watershed moments where I had to realize, hey, resist that temptation and move more into that sort of, you know, more passive advisory role. Certainly strong parenting is important in terms of boundaries and those kinds of things, but trying to balance that and then being able to, um, I think now as, as you guys are adult parents, the bigger thing for me is going from that, what I call a transition to, um, to just to more of what I call a listening ear, right. And being, um, given that general advice and not really being the teacher, but more the listener and, and, and just sort of the, uh, the uh, person to sort of bounce ideas and, and thoughts off of. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I, I, there, there were probably some times where I know speaking for myself, I can't really speak for TJ where that, that pressure, especially in sports was there for sure. I think some of it was probably good for us um, as far as like honoring commitments and, and uh, giving your all in certain situations right, yeah. and not yeah. being lazy. And yeah. so there's a lot of takeaways from that, that, we can definitely use and learn from. Um, but yeah, that's an, an interesting perspective. Uh, hopefully we uh, didn't have to give you too much uh, grief because I, I, I think we're pretty decent athletes. I don't know. Uh, yeah. we, we did all right. So it was fun for us at least. <laughs> it's fun to look back though and think of, you know, in fact, now it's, you know, we talked about the time and some of us traveling, doing AU baseball and some of the, you know, Sunday nights at midnight and, 
mom and I can remember, you know, get, having, you know, rain outs in Pennsylvania and every kids are running around the hotel and our job is to babysit and, you know, and, and, and uh, just one little side story. I just remember, you know, we, a friend of ours put this AU team together. I think TJ was actually on this team, the baseball team. I don't think you played on this one, but it, um, I just remember going to some of these tournaments and uh, really he put together just local guys he knew, but we competed as an AAU team and, and we went down to, uh, uh, to the AU Nationals is like 16 and under, I think, or something like that. And we were in um, down right on the border of Tennessee, and it might have been in Tennessee, um, in Virginia. And we, um, I just remember talking to some of the other parents from a team down in Florida. I remember the team Florida Snappers. And this team had recruited kids from, you know, 1,000 miles away. Kids were moving in with other kids to play. Parents were paying two and $3,000 for the kids to try out on this team. And then, you know, you know, we held our own as best we could, but I said, boy, how, you know, it was just a, it was a real eye opener for me to sort of see that kind of environment at, at that kind of age and some of the, you know, whether it bordered on commitment to a little bit of excess, right. From a, from a parenting standpoint, I'm sure some of those kids we probably played with turned out to, 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 to go places and others I'm sure didn't, but it was interesting perspective. Yeah. Just a quick note for you dads. Uh, your kid's not that good probably. So uh, I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about uh, what they're going to be doing in their sports career after college necessarily. Um, there's a lot more important things to, to be worrying about uh, than getting on all these AAU teams and traveling thousands of miles just to get your, your butt whooped in, in tournaments. But uh, different growing moments, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, getting a little a little deeper here. Uh, when you're gone, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh wow! See, so is that a yeah, reflection that, on my that, age or not? I that mean, turned quick. You, you got on. Yeah, you got on. It's like, wait a minute. You know, huh? I probably should. Uh, that's a good question. When do I hold up? You know, from the football, fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. Yeah, I talk to my buddies a lot of that, now, and we've debated this. We're not quite sure. We say it's you know. So I'm on the precipice here of 60, right? I'm holding on at 59 next year. I turn 60. And, um, you know, I've sort of said, hey, you know, 60 to 80 is that fourth quarter. And some other guys say, no, you're cutting yourself short. It's maybe 65. And I said, no, you're not being realistic about it, right? I mean, you know, let's let's look at that. <laughs> These are the conversations edge, so. that you have now. That's good. <laughs> but I'm getting close to holding up that fourth finger. But, yeah, so good question on, on legacy. This might be a time. Um, did you say it was a problem if I shared a few quotes? No, you did you, you said you really haven't had anybody come yet with any quotes, have they? Any uh, the no, yeah. no solid quotes yet. So okay, so just let me... Keep just, them short. We'll get to that, and we'll answer that question, no doubt. Just give me a quick second here. So one uh, quote I I um, thought about that I'd reflect on, I don't know when I saw it, but I, it came back to me as, I, as you told me, hey, why don't you come on this podcast, was um, Helen Rowland. She's a uh, American journalist and humorist, but um, Ryan, this was probably good i've always taken this to heart um her quote was um, a man's desire for a son is usually nothing but the wish to duplicate himself in order that such a remarkable pattern may not be lost to the world i thought boy she's got something there right (laughs) so um certainly we can talk about changing uh son to daughter but um that that's an interesting one um one other I want to share with you, um, Ryan, we used to joke, there was a fellow that I always asked him if he knew Garrison Keillor um, and, and from, you know, the Minnesota. Lake Wobegon. Lake Wobegon, right? The the famous Minnesota storyteller, a Prairie Home Companion. So I got to go back to my Minnesota roots here, and um, I got this one for Ryan. I thought it would be good. Um, but Garrison was a, 
a, a pretty neat guy. And his quote here, um, he, he sums it up pretty good. It probably could have been a little shorter, but let me just give you this quote. It says, the father of a daughter is nothing but a high-class hostage. A father turns his stony face to his sons, berates them, shakes his antlers, paws the ground, snorts, runs them off into the underbrush. But when his daughter puts her arm over his shoulder and says, Daddy, I need to ask you something, he's nothing but a pad of butter and a hot frying pan. That's probably one of the best descriptions of <laughs> being a dad of girls that I've ever heard. <laughs> so that's Garrison's perspective on, on that, um, you know, that angle. And like I said, I, those I try to reflect on because I, uh, I see that happening to grandparents as well of, uh, of granddaughters. But, um, but anyway, back to your question, right? Oh, the legacy. Um, so, again, I'll, I'll open with a, uh, another quote on there, but uh, Charles Kettering, you probably don't, your age group might not remember him, but famous inventor, engineer, I guess he actually invented uh, Freons uh, as one of his, I think he's got 180-some patents. Anyway, um, so I don't know exactly how he transitioned from this inventor, engineer, to um, fatherhood, but um, has some pretty telling words. And I think that's, for me, you know, without a lot of, you know, you can look at it from a lot of different angles in terms of this, your legacy. And obviously for me, the fathering piece of that is probably, you know, really premier. I mean, you can, you know, I've seen some of the quotes about, you know, they won't ask you how many, how much money you made and so forth and, and other contributions you did. But, you know, how were you as a, as a parent, if that was your role? But his, his, his statement on this was that every father should remember that one day his son will follow his example instead of his advice. And uh, I got thinking about that, and I said, "Boy, how many year, how many time did we spend as parents?" And you generally always emphasize, "Hey, I'm gonna, that advice, right?" And whether it was, you know, just verbal cues and verbal discussions and so forth. But you always send, "Hey, here's my advice." And many times it came in the form of, you know, commands or boundaries or what have you. But um, and I thought about that, and I said, "That's pretty neat." And so I guess my legacy there would be, you know, my goal for my legacy would be to say that, "Hey, my example." What's the right example, right? It was the noble, it was the, the right way, it was the Christian way, it was, you know, the caring way, that example. And I think, um, for me, that's, in, in, in a nutshell, sort of what I would hope uh, that legacy can be for myself. Well, I'm already following in your footsteps with the uh, getting into the world of ac- government acquisitions. So I don't know if that's what you want, <laughs> want necessarily as your legacy, but, yeah, hopefully that yeah. example um, that you've lived in your life is something that TJ and I can, can really look at and, and model and follow for sure. All right, your last W question. Okay. Why did you want to become a dad? Yeah, that's interesting. I think, um, you know, my perspective, again, I talk about being the youngest, and I, I, the youngest of five kids, and I think that carried through. For me, it was um, obviously, you know, uh, so I always had that, that desire in, in the back of my mind, and I know as you know, your mom and I talked about it as we in our early years. Um, I mentioned we spent about um, three and a half years uh, working through infertility, and uh, we're very close. We're, you know, probably, you know, uh, 80% on our way with um, with adoption um, when I was in the Air Force. Um, in the Air Force, and then um, we were fortunate and blessed enough to have have TJ, and so we, you know, we we sort of paused on that, but. Um, uh, and so, you know, all the effort sort of went into that, and, and, and that payout there, the thought was, boy, that was a that was a just a tremendous gift that we received, being able to 
to conceive. But I think, you know, the, the big thing for me also was watching my older brothers and sisters in parenthood and just, um, you know, not always just seeing the joys, but just seeing the, just seeing the, um, the sense of family it created and, and just the, and the joy and, and just the commitment that they showed. And, uh, just, you know, we were always a sort of a larger family in the sense of that my, um, you know, all of, uh, my, um, brothers and sisters had, have children as well. And, and, um, and so that was, that was for me, I think, um, a big part of it. Um, and, and then also just the idea of being able to, um, uh, just really sort of share sort of, you know, the ability for mom and I to be able to just, um, you know, jump into that parenting role. I mean, we saw it with her parents and, and with my parents, and I think it was just a sort of a natural evolution, but I think something that really made it special for us was the, the time of, you know, just not, you know, taking it for granted, right, and having that that, that period of, uh, of of trial and tribulation with, with mom not being able to conceive. So that was powerful for us, I think. Well, I've got one more question for you. It's uh, it's one that we like to end these episodes on, so you may have actually seen this coming. And, you know, I'm not even going to ask if you have any dad fails you want to share with us. I'm just going to ask which dad fail on your list you want to share. So I was actually talking to... You can uh, back it up. You've got something in case I... Uh, yeah, I was talking to mom about this a little bit the other night, so I've got some in my pocket if you need them, but I want to know what you're thinking. Also, <laughs> I, th- I think TJ and I turned out sort of okay, so I can't imagine your dad fails are... Are really that too, traumatizing? Yeah, too, too traumatizing? No. But what you got for us? It's interesting. Um, I ought to share one in, in terms of a early early grandfathering too, because I that came back to me as well. But that was um, going to be your bonus question: is do you have any grand? Was it any okay, grand fails? Okay, I so. might get credit for that one. But yeah, uh, one that really stands out for me was early on. Um, I don't even know how old. Um, clearly, it was here after we had moved to to Virginia. So you were still an infant. I think not not able to run around too much at that point, but. TJ was in full motion, and uh, it happened to be, you know, one of those times. I think it was still working um, uh, in 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 the IT private sector, and I think Mom actually came down, did some shopping, and came down over to Tyson's Galleria Mall and got off work or whatever, and said, "Let's just do dinner." We were at the food court there. Um, I've been back there a few times and get flashbacks. I get, you know juice starts pumping the adrenaline goes i get a, I get you know just antsy and, and jittery and i just look around but um not to spend too much time on on setting the stage here but um the food court there if any of them it's still that way is um in an open area like most of them are and they have an escalator that takes you up to the next level there and we happen to be on a table not more than probably 40 less than that 20 probably 20 feet from the escalator and uh, we're sitting there. I know, uh, I don't know what TJ CD was in back then. I don't, you know, we didn't have all the entrapments that uh, you guys have now as parents, but um, I know you were in some kind of high chair kind of configuration. And uh, evidently we were, I think it was towards the end of the meal, but, um, you know, mom and I maybe didn't discuss, you know, who was going to tackle what quite, quite as well as we should have. And I just remember looking around and, and looking at your mom with sort of this blank stare and like pointing <laughs> and like pointing and um you're sitting there and I look over and um TJ has gotten himself uh on the outside of the escalator with his hands on that black rubber railing 
and he's now progressing. He's probably about a third of the way um, outside. Got got around the sort of barricade there, climbed around that. He's now progressing about a third of the way up this open escalator on the outside of the the see-through wall. And I just remember the old, you know, knocking over the table, jumping over the table, <laughs> running. Uh, a couple of people standing there looking like, what's going on, right? I had to sort of push them out of the way, ran up the inside of this thing, just, you know, didn't even really have time to, you know, he, his eyes got big. And I just remember reaching over the edge and grabbing them, like pulling them back over to the, in front of this thing. And, and, and then, of course, you're on this escalator. So it's like, well, do I run back down? I don't remember going out. See, I must have. I must have ran back down and knocked the people over. And then in my own embarrassing way, after settling down, acted like nothing was wrong. But that was, that was probably one of the top on the list um, early on. That's a pretty good um, one. All right, what about that, uh, that bonus question? Any Gramps fails? This is a good one. Yeah, so um, one that sort of sticks out for me was um, this was with uh, TJ and Mel, his wife, and uh, I don't know quite where mom was. I think mom was going to, but um, I was allowed to babysit Caroline. and, and uh, First mistake. Yeah, if, if you know uh, Mel, that was the day she you know, wrote out every instruction for me, and um, so I just remember going through the notes and so forth, and um, one of my jobs was to prepare some rice cereal and she gave me all the details on how to prepare it and it ended up being pretty watery and the bottles were, were there so all, all I remember is just preparing this rice cereal and putting it in the baby bottle itself and uh, spent um, probably a half hour 45 minutes um, trying to figure out why Caroline wasn't ingesting any of this cereal and she was just sucking away on this thing and i'm there and i'm do i'm following the other directions like you know when you're doing the bottle you know burp or and, all, and nothing working and um so uh just didn't wasn't too uh too up on the baby bottle thing anyway and i just remember coming back and explaining that and uh getting chewed out a little bit about not being able to you know read between the lines of the instructions a little bit that was a tough one for me though well, it's like catnip for a kid, basically. You just <laughs> give her a bottle of rice rice cereal. I mean, it and... did keep her occupied. I mean, I right. do remember there was, you know, she seemed to be enjoying it, but I just kept looking at this bottle, and it's like, geez, I don't know what's going on here, you know? I don't, you know? Well, Caroline, when you listen to this, I'm going to apologize for Gramps on your behalf. We we should have done a better job educating him a little bit, but uh, it's good to laugh about now. Well, I think that's probably enough enough fails for us today. Um, it's difficult for me to come up with one of these each week, too. But uh, it's been a pleasure finally getting you on the podcast. I apologize you weren't number one, so hope you forgive me for that one. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm just uh, glad I was able to fill in your, your blank slate this week. I know vacations are busy for folks. So. Yeah, that summer scheduling is difficult. <laughs> I know. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed this little picture into the Shaughnessy House. Have a great Monday, and go get those wins up. Thanks, all.